isn't that type of hotel in Birmingham and I think that's why there's been this great response to it because it's bloody about time that we did. Hello and welcome back to Breaking Breads. This is the podcast all about the amazing food in Birmingham and the incredible people who bring that food and drink to you. All the people in the city doing special things in the hospitality industry. We're here to share their stories with you. Presented by Food Obsessed Mates, Liam and Carl. I'm your co-host, Liam. Really great to be with you here today. Unfortunately, you might know we do these intros usually together. Unfortunately, my um, my good friend Carl has... Uh, come had to isolate due to obviously the corona he's doing a lot better now he's just well he come, he come out of isolation today as we record this on the saturday before this episode comes out but it's a little bit tight for time to try and get this all edited and out so we didn't have time to get an intro together because of the isolation and absolutely good for car that he he come down with Corona, obviously not nice for anyone. Luckily, he's doing fine. He's doing okay now, and he's past the worst of it. Obviously, plenty of people in the same boat at the minute, and we feel for you all. And obviously, all the restaurants who are struggling with it at the minute. I <sighs> just hope, hopefully, this ends soon. I mean, oh, it's hard not to mention it every single episode, but. What can you do? We're trying. Um, yeah, so luckily it hasn't affected any of recordings or anything. We've managed to, to plow on. We've got a great recording coming this week with uh, a really exciting guest. Coincidentally, that will be our last episode for a, a little while. We're going to have probably August off to kind of have holidays and recharge the batteries. I'm hoping to get to Ireland and see my dad and family for the first time in a couple of years due to this whole nightmare pandemic but I'm really looking forward to that so we just we got this episode today with Adam Bateman and then we got one more episode and then we're gonna have August off so don't worry we haven't we're not going away or anything we're just taking a little month of August off to kind of recharge and get a few things done and then we'll be back in September with some more Awesome episodes with uh, we got well we got some more great guests lined up from all over the city. Eating out normally me and Carl have a good chat about eating out, and in fairness, Carl eats out a bit more than I do. I just want to talk about these waffles that I had this morning. Unbelievable! Chances Cafe in Sturchley, Viva Sturchley, unbelievable. Honestly, might be because they're fresh in my mind, but I can't stop raving about these chicken and waffles. I mean, that's right on my street anyway, the whole sweet and savoury thing. Chances Cafe actually absolutely smashing it. I feel like I've just been brunching. Went to Backyard Cafe over in King Swinford a few weeks ago. We were over that side of town, so I thought I'd uh, nip in, see what all the fuss was about. The hype is real. 
that Macchiard, like their take on the McMuffin, unbelievable. That's absolutely smashed. And their cakes, oh. Yeah, so if you're ever over that side of town, you definitely got to go into Backyard Cafe. Really, really good spot. So on to today's episode. Uh, we're really excited about this one. We, we were invited a few weeks ago over to the new Grand Hotel to have a little look around and we went to Isaac's, which is the New York style kind of restaurant at the bottom of, Isaac, of the Grand Hotel. Really, really cool place, man. Interior is wicked. Service is just unique, I would say. Really good. Really good place. The food was amazing. One of the best steaks I've had in a long time. And uh, just a great experience. So today's episode is with the executive chef for the Grand Hotel, Chef Adam Bateman. Um, really well-known chef, done lots of stuff around the Midlands, won some awards and stuff, been going for years. Stuck to, it's an interesting one because a lot of the chefs we've interviewed have been restaurant orientated or gone down the traditional route, whereas Adam's more of a hotel, a hotelier. He's mainly worked around hotels, which is an absolutely just different, different level of chefing, man. It's, it's tough. It's an absolute tough game, but Adam loves it, like, and he really shines through. He's a great character, and we have really fun conversation. There's lots of laughing, and yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, just the Grand Hotel, we can't stop raving about it. It's, it really is just somewhere special. It feels like we have something special now in Birmingham, special hotel that we can all kind of be proud of. That Madeline's just looks like the kind of place. You, you just want to take friends that visit the city. So, yeah, re- really loved doing this episode, really loved everything about the Grand Hotel and hearing all about it. And I'm glad we could share kind of behind the scenes with you, the kind of workings and the mindset that goes into putting these, this restaurant together at the, the heart of the hotel. I really hope you enjoy listening to it because we love making it. As always, if you do love listening to it, if you could like and subscribe, really helps the algorithm on Apple. Really, really does help. We want to tell as many people as possible about how good Birmingham is. We really believe it's one of the best places around. And we need your help to spread that news and these stories far and wide. So all you have to do is like, subscribe, uh, rate, do all that jazz, you know the score, like Apple and Spotify. Let's get, let's spread spread the Birmingham positivity. Let's spread it, man. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Bateman. Adam Bateman, welcome on Breaking Bread. Really good to have you on the show, mate. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. A pleasure to be on here and uh, have a chat with you guys. Looking forward to it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, we've already had the pleasure of trying your food as well, and it's fantastic. Yeah, so you've done both, I think, Madeline's afternoon tea, is that right? No, and no, I haven't done the afternoon no? tea yet. No, no, I Just a few that. snacks in the bar. 
just <laughs> came to the Isaacs night. Right, okay. The opening of that, and that was, oh, mate, it's phenomenal. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. um, it's been a long, hard slog to get to that point. I mean, you know, everyone's had lockdowns and and experience the difficulties over this year, right? But the amount of stop starting we've done on this project alone, um, and Isaacs as a restaurant and as a concept has been pretty 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 difficult to sort of work our way through so um going back to sort of october november last year when we was going to originally open the hotel which was already late then <laughs> you know we'd planned to open both for the, the the bar and the restaurant at the same time and because i think back then the restrictions were were sort of only uh, substantial eating and such restrictions around food and time I think we just took the decision back then to close one, which was Isaac's, and just open Mandolin's. Yeah. So fast forward that to this year, and when we reopened the hotel, we suddenly realised that we did no work on Isaac's as a concept or menus or suppliers <laughs> or anything. And someone says, well, we're opening three months. And you're like, shit, <laughs> what's on the menu, chef? And you're like, well, I don't know. I thought you guys were doing that. So, yeah, just, just all the momentum just goes, you know, and it's it's – nearly finished to be fair you know we're open now and we're trading really well and we've had amazing feedback and you know from you guys and and everybody else that's been really lucky to try it but there's still a little bit more to come which is really interesting um and and really cool to say that it's not quite there yeah you know it's not going to be like you know the likes of what glenn and uh actar and those guys are doing clearly not but still to think that we can push the restaurant a little bit further with the decor and the welcome and the host stand and, and bits and bobs is quite exciting to see that people are still really enjoying it. But yet there's still a little bit more to come. So Does chefs ever think they're there though? No. We've never spoke to anyone <laughs> that's just like, yeah, no, it's perfect now. I ain't got to do nothing else. No, 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 that's no, very true. Not. No. Um, I think that's what sort of pushes us on, right? We know that little tweak or that little change, there's still a bit more to come. I, I had this conversation with someone the other day um, I was watching, I'll tell you what it was, I was watching the Formula One. Yeah. And you know when they drivers, I don't know if you guys watch it, but the drivers, they interview them at the end and they go, how was that? The guy stuck it on pole. He's like smacked someone out of the ground and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, a little mistake here and a little bit there. There's a little bit more to come. And you're like, well, you're on pole position, what you're on about? And, and <laughs> yeah. it's the same, I think, with, sh- with chefs. No matter what it is, what level you're cooking at, lots of different levels. But, in, you know, in your little zone, I think, yeah, you want to try and do the best you can or you want to try and tweak it a little bit more or you want to change it. We've we just done some dessert tasting downstairs tonight for a banqueting menu and we're, even already we're like, well, should we tweak that? Oh, what about cherries? Oh, no, they're in season. Like, just keep pushing. For, yeah, definitely. Oh, nice. So what sort of led you into being a chef then? We're going back a bit now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's about 94, 95, showing my age. Um, I was working on the markets in a place called Tamworth, not too far from yeah, yeah, yeah. from this neck of the woods. And I don't know, nothing, nothing was really going to happen for me. So my mum worked at the Belfry and she said, I've got you an apprenticeship at the Belfry. I'm like, what's one of them? <laughs> <laughs> I've got you an apprenticeship. You can do a year around the hotel and then choose where you want it to work. I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. I'm quite happy earning 60 quid a week on the market, which was a lot of money back then for like a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. Oh, sorry, 14-year-old kid. 
Um, and I had dreams of being a fireman, like London's burning and you know, yeah, running yeah, yeah. into buildings, and <laughs> damsel in distress. I'll save you, I'll save you, and all that. Um, I think my mum knew that that probably, probably wasn't me. So she's like got me involved in this apprenticeship scheme at the Belfry. And I thought, well, I'll just doss around in the leisure club. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, I couldn't be working in the leisure club. It's got to be easy. So um, I ended up sort of choosing that first, and they stuck me on reception. Oh, it's awful, fucking awful. <laughs> I'm clearly not made to be a receptionist. <laughs> you have to give people towels and pretend you like them and stuff like yeah, that. And yeah. that's bad. <laughs> Couldn't get on with that. And um, I went into housekeeping. Um, that lasted about a week before the exec executive housekeeper found me sort of sat on the bed watching MTV. <laughs> <laughs> so they kicked me out of there. And then I ended up in food and beverage. And I worked in the restaurant, and I really, to be fair, I really enjoyed that. There was a couple of guys that I really got on with, some, a lot older than me, 18, 19, 20s, and they took me under their wing a bit. You know, we used to go out for a few beers after work and to the nightclub and stuff like that. And as a 16-year-old kid, that was kind of a big deal back then for me. Um, so I started to get that love of food and beverage and the hustle and bustle of service. It was, it was the service. I remember, you know, those busy Friday and Saturday night restaurants being in the shit. I mean, it was a carvery, guys. It wasn't technically difficult, but that backwards and forwards and yeah. stuff like that. So um, that's that first taste of food and beverage. And then I went into kitchens, and um, I didn't have a clue <laughs> of what to do, how to speak to people. You know, just gobby kid from Tamworth, Birmingham. Bit of attitude and a chip on the shoulder quickly got wiped off. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, it's a big old burly banqueting chefs in there slapping you around, and. Um, just working in that kitchen, I got a, I got a sense of purpose. Um, I remember one of the waitresses came and asked me, she says, excuse me, chef, and I sort of did ignore that. She said, chef, and realized she was talking to me. You know, no one had ever said excuse me to me. <laughs> he was like, oi, yeah. you, and that type of stuff. And um, I sort of turned around, she said, well, can you show me where the butter is? And I knew where the butter was in the fridge. I was like, oh, yes, I can, come <laughs> with me. Let me show you. And I got a real sense of empowerment and from then on, I just sort of, well, then on, I've been in kitchens, really, and worked my way through from, from 96, I think it was, back in the day in the Belfry in Bankton, yeah. So the kitchens were quite rough back then. Uh, yeah, I've told some stories before, but yes, um, old school, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Definitely don't condone it now, and it definitely doesn't happen as much now, but back in the day, it was part and parcel of working in kitchens. Um, it was institutionalised, but, you know, there was a lot of physical abuse uh i suffered a lot of racial abuse which i've talked about and stuff before um but that molded me and made me um i don't see it as a negative yeah i think now it's very much different perception but back then i can understand why people would feel that that's tough or hard or shouldn't have happened but it did we can't change that would you say that kitchens had a way of straightening people out in a sort of sense like the army would do for example back then yeah, I, that, that's a really good point, actually, you make. Um, other people have spoke about it as well, that, you know, a certain type of character and a certain type of person ends up in the, or used to end up in the army, a bit lost, a bit strayed, a bit mischief, a bit into trouble. And I, I guess I was a bit like that. If I look back, I guess I, I was a bit like that. And, you know, suddenly being in that strict and strong environment, I found it tough. But I also responded to it quite well, yeah. and I didn't. I didn't run away or shy away from it. Actually, I think it drew drew me further in, and 
up until you know 10, 10 years ago maybe the kitchens were like that weren't they they were hard places and people that did well or survived tend to enjoy it does that make sense yeah 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 i think i think yeah definitely do you think if it'd been like a modern kitchen how they run today because they're very different places today do you think you'd have stuck with it oh bloody hell that's a really good question i don't i don't know no i don't think i would have no. I, I don't think I, you know we we've opened the grand here and we've had you know a couple of characters a couple of guys and girls leave you know i've had 19 year old chefs call me not even call me text me saying oh i won't be back i'm sorry to let you down i've lost my passion and you're like well, how can you lose your passion for something at 19 years of age yeah. you know? <laughs> that's when you got the most passion <laughs> yeah <laughs> the guy's not 40 or 16 he's been doing oh, yeah. it for 20 30 years and suddenly gone do you know what i'm actually i'm gonna put my feet up and retire and just and, and it's not even a hard environment we don't run a hard kitchen it's not it's five it's we're only open five days a week set days off you know the guys work straight shifts long hours but it's a startup and they know it's a startup it's not like they're walking into a set restaurant mm. like aptars or adams across the road you know that's been going that's got procedures and steady this is new we're finding our feet 55 hour weeks i think that's quite reasonable over over five days with two days off one of them being a Sunday, um, to say it's hard and it's difficult and they've lost the passion, it, it, su- it surprises me. And, it, and if, going back to the question, if that was like for me back then, I, maybe I wouldn't, maybe it's, maybe it's too easy now to walk away, mm-hmm. you know, or we're, we're, it seems as an easier option, or maybe the television thing has made it seem that it's all glamorous and it's all, you know, fun. And actually, in some kitchens and in some environments, it, it's still quite hard. And you do need a bit of grit and resilience to keep going. Yeah. I think it's like a patience thing. Like TV makes it seem like, makes it seem like Gordon started in the kitchen and then like after like two or three years, TV cameras found him and then stuck him in the, the, the nobody's seen like the years and years and years he was getting shouted at by Marco Pierre White and you know, yeah, so, yeah. so now the youngsters coming into the kitchen now think, oh, I've only got a graft hard for like a year and then I'm going to be on the TV or I'm going to be on Great British Menu and it, I think it's detriment a little bit to the industry. Yeah, definitely. I think it glamorizes it, doesn't it? And, you, you know, those guys now, 19 and less, probably saw those early episodes of Gordon, Hell's Kitchen, you know, two, three, four years ago, and probably thought, ah, it's all fun, it's all game, it just shouts at you, it's all TV, it's all set up. And the reality is some places are like that, but a lot of them aren't, right? A lot of them are hard graft and you do have to put the hard yards in to start with you know and you are a commie chef for a, a year two years before you can sort of step up we've we've interviewed people here and in previous roles in in in, in my life you know you've got guys that are walking in with four years experience demanding 30 40k jobs <laughs> as sous chefs yeah you know i can't loads loads of places in london and and around the country when I was interviewing for exec chefs and head chef's jobs you, you, you just look at their CV and in a million years you go why are you applying for this job you, 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 I don't even know why you think you're good enough but yeah I think they look at the money or look at how easy they think it is they just see them on telly and I presume there's money there yeah. because they're on telly yeah. they don't remember that they will realise that these people even on Great British Menu yeah. they're probably still not on that much really no um to be fair, though, those guys are, that sort of appear on that are... Well, they're exceptional. They're the, yeah, they're the cream of the crop, right? Yeah, and they're, they're probably still not on what 
these people are seeing them on telly and just thinking, well, on telly, they must be earning an absolute <laughs> Millions are going to sign up for <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 millions, yeah. Unfortunately, none of us are. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, someone missed me off the list. <laughs> not sure people go into chefing for the money. Like, it's not the fame and the money. No. So, like, you got to have passion for food. Like, it's got to be your life, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, th- there's lots of jobs like that, right? And And... and hospitality is definitely an industry you don't go into if you if you're not connected to it or passionate about mm. it this is not a job or a role to, to um you know collect a paycheck at the end of the month there's probably easier ways to earn more money than being a waiter or a waitress or a chef or a pot wash or a you know a banking assistant mm. on nine pounds sixty or whatever it is an hour you know working boots no disrespect to boots or anything like that or retail but you know, who wants to come and do 15 hours and get paid for eight of them because that's hospitality when you can go and do your eight hours in one of those and walk out at the end of it, you know, take your little apron off and go and do something else. So, yeah. Is it, was it always hotels you were in or did you go to any, like, normal restaurants? Or? Um, no, I've predominantly been around hotels all my career. So um, I, I, I would class myself as a hotelier now. Um, and a hotel type chef. Um, I, I dabbled in a few restaurants. Um, I've worked in a few restaurants in hotels, mm. um, but mostly been in and around hotels. Um, is there a big difference in the chefs in both? Like, is that is like would hotel t- chefs be a little bit more tougher or? Well, that's a good question. Um, yes, th- th- there is a lot of differences between the two sectors, you know, and then you can add in. Uh, high street and retail to that as well those types of chefs um are a different breed within within our industry um i think hotel chefs tend to be a little bit more adaptable just because of the nature of the business so you know for example my team that run isaac's downstairs whilst they run a restaurant whilst we're trying to position that as an external restaurant and separate to the hotel it just happens to be in a hotel you know I can walk down from the morning meeting and go, I need five fruit bowls for the rooms. And those guys have to adapt pretty quickly. Mm. You know, there's a room service menu that yeah. comes out of that kitchen for obvious reasons. Um, they've got to do a bit of staff lunch at the moment as well while we figure things out. So I think they're a little bit more adaptable because of the nature that they're in. Whereas restaurant teams tend to be a little bit more rigid in their structure because they can be. It's lunch service, it's dinner service. I pretty know much how much covers I'm going to do. The likelihood of someone coming in and asking me for something that's either not on the menu or, or, or not, not in our remit is, is few and far between. Um, I think that's why tend, it's, it's, you tend to get a better experience food-wise, perhaps in a restaurant, than you would in a hotel. Um, again, because of that, again, typically, if I go back sort of 10 years, hotels tend to have really good restaurants, but the, the four or five chefs that operate that hotel restaurant are also doing everything else. It's hard to maintain that consistency. And the really good places that I've worked have always had their restaurants separate. You know, you only have to look at, you know, Marcus Waring and, and, and or someone like that at, at, at the Barclay, who's, who's got a, you know, they have a separate restaurant, a separate team and everything's excluded from the hotel. There might be a little bit of crossover, but everything's done to separate the restaurant from the hotel for, for that very reason. 
maybe they can focus on like just prepping for lunch or prepping for dinner whereas in the hotel you've got to kind of go after everything I mean, yeah, like, yeah there's, there's so much more that goes on in a hotel that's got to come from somewhere and it tends to come from that big kitchen or that main kitchen or where the yeah. best chefs are situated and that usually ends up being the restaurant right so those guys have got to cover a multitude of things and therefore it's harder for them to concentrate just on like you're saying on the mise en place on the restaurant yeah. on, that, on that evening yeah is that why you've done it here like did you have an influence on that did you say oh i think we should do it separately as isaacs or um no so well yes and no um mainstream hotels the last 10 to last six to ten years have realized especially bigger hotels like the grand here uh some of the other projects that i worked on uh kimpton london principal london principal manchester you know if I go back eight years, when I thought we first six years, eight years, when we first jumped on that project, we realised that unless there was a name chef at a hotel or a specific restaurant concept at a hotel, the, the restaurant food was pretty boring or pretty average. And the only people that ever ate there were in-house guests. It was kind of, so we were giving people a restaurant because we needed to feed them and they were only eating there because they had already pre-booked. You'd never get any real externals, and you would never get anyone externally coming in. So it was this self-contained, poor restaurant that was sort of feeding its own ego, you know, that two-rosette, country house-type hotel. It was all right, but it's not great but you'd rather go out, but you can't because you're in the middle of nowhere. Do you know what I mean? Is it hard to make changes in somewhere like that? Because obviously you would be like, come on, this, is, this isn't that great. And then whoever's above you would be pushing down and saying, well, we're busy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're, yeah, yeah. We're obviously successful. Yeah, you, definitely, you know? definitely. We had that conversation a lot. So no, no owner of a hotel or business would ever really consider a soul-themed concepts like Isaac's an American theme mm. or like we did in Manchester the refuge because you suddenly have a very scripted offer and those type of hotels just want to draw people in and try and you know give them everything there's afternoon tea mm. there's a a la carte there's a restaurant there's a bar menu and it goes on and on and on and actually all they do they end up doing is just diluting their offer and everything's just a bit weak mm. so it takes a bold set of people to come and go actually do you know what no let's put a cool concept in let's go and have a look around the city this is sort of kind of going back to Birmingham what's no one doing what's really bold what's going to stand out in the dining scene in Birmingham that no one else is doing well what about American well yeah but it's the grand it's five star or we want it to be five star there's an expectation that comes with that mm. you know if we're charging 500 pound for a suite Mr. and Mrs. Jones are going to want to come down in their evening attire, looking nice and smart, and have a drink in Madeline's, and want to go down and have a really nice experience. Are they going to want to sit in Isaac's? Probably not. But actually, what do we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when the hotel's not full, and there's lots of people out on the square? They're not going to want to come to a, that type of restaurant. So it's taking those bold jumps and those bold decisions and doing something like Isaac's and hotels, suddenly hotels over the last five years, six years, a bit longer, have suddenly realised to have a great offering, actually you do really need to do something different. 
you, you only have to look at here, right? How, we can go get anything that we want. Mm. Any type of cuisine, Michelin star, pizza. Well, you guys know more than me about this, <laughs> you? you know what I mean? You don't yeah, need yeah. me, so. So, people want more than just the, the normal. Well, that's yeah. it. From where we are now, you could throw a stone in one way and hit one Michelin star restaurant, throw a stone the other way and you'd hit another one. And then there's everything else you can imagine just right out the front of the door. Yeah. So I praise those guys for taking that bold decision. And, I, and for, again, for me as a hotelier, to have that option here and to try and do something a bit different, I think it's really exciting for, for me, for the Grand and for the city, to have something a bit different. You, you know, yeah. Was it a style of cuisine you were used to cooking? Or no. Or did you have to sort of learn this? No, not at all. So um, I've been really fortunate in my career to work for some amazing chefs and cook all the way up to sort of one star, two star level. And that type of food, Michelin star food and really good fine dining style food, if you like, which is a term that I don't like to use, but it does, it does you know, say what it says on the tin uh, and then I stepped out of that and got a group role for the last couple of years and developed helped develop concepts for, for an open other restaurants for lots of different styles Levitine, Levitine uh, American uh, like tapas style a grand brasserie down in London to, so then to suddenly come back and having to do this myself and then having to do something like an American was, was a real challenge for me Exciting challenge, um, but you know, there's been plenty of sleepless nights um, thinking about it. But one of, the, one of the things I wanted to do was do it for first and foremost. I wanted to do the grand, I've, I've been involved in the project for six years, so coming back to the city was really exciting. I think the last time I worked physically in the city was at the Copthorne, which was uh, not great, but there you go. <laughs> um, maybe before that was the Burlington, so even then, not that great. Um, so I was excited to come back to the city and do and, and open the project, but also to get back on the stove. I was conscious that if I was going to do it, I wanted to be front and centre. I didn't want to be the guy, the consultant chef or the guy that just comes in and sort of dabbles on it. Because if it's not great, you guys know, Birmingham people will suss that out pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. damn quickly. Won't be around very long. No, no, no. Because we're so small, right? There's so much choice. So if you're not up there, they'll be gone, man. So I was like, do you know what? Let's do it. So you're pretty hands-on now in this role. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, too much. <laughs> I'd like a break or a day off would be really cool. How have you found it coming back to being on the uh, the cook line? Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been yeah. a challenge. Yeah, I've really liked getting, you know, back in there with the team, recruiting the right team and the right guys. That was a challenge in itself. You know, working, work, working with the people sort of two, three years ago, post lockdown, you know, I would have been the guy who would have been challenging the menus and asking whether it's the right suppliers, it's the right price, the menus going in the right direction. And all of a sudden, the tables were almost reversed. Mm. I was the chef writing the menu and I was the chef putting the concept together and people were challenging that. And I was used to having those conversations from the other yeah. side of the table. So that in itself was a challenge. And then, um, you know, lining up, doing those tastings again, I was not going to lie, you know, super nervous. Mm. For the first time I was cooking and people were cooking my food and my menus and having people sort of criticise it, that's, that's a tough challenge for any chef to go through, never mind not being in the kitchen, physically being in the kitchen over the last 
sort of three, four years. Was there any part of you that was a bit worried you might have lost it a little bit? No. <laughs> <laughs> never, never, no, no never. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, no, I, I don't, the food that we do is definitely not technically challenging. You know, there's obviously lots of things that can go wrong, but I was confident in, in, in my ability and stuck to what, you know, fundamentally the basics. Right? Yeah. You know, that was it, you know, try and make it hot, try and season it well, try and use good ingredients and good suppliers, which I think that I've got on board and let their produce do the talking. And other than that, that's it for this restaurant. So there was no trips to New York to try and get the vibe uh, for it. I, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. The COVID got in the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. the first class uh, ticket to New York, all expenses paid, is, is, uh, is on pause at the moment. <laughs> the boss <laughs> won't quite sign that one up. <laughs> is there anything about Isaacs that's sort of tailored towards Birmingham and the people? Um, I wouldn't say sort of tailored towards, but you, you, all our suppliers... And all of the ingredients that we use are English and from reputable and great suppliers that a lot of people in Birmingham will probably know. I mean, the one that sticks out is Aubrey Allen. Yeah. Coventry-based. It seems know. like everyone uses him. Yeah. I mean, he's such a great, great produce. That Why wouldn't you use that? I think then it's the people that serve it is what makes Birmingham. Not, you know, whether the, the, the beef comes from or the, you know, Pigeon, pigeon Park is used in the in the <laughs> pigeon ragu, um, but maybe not. It, but it's the soul. The Birmingham piece for us is the soul, not necessarily what looks like and what's on 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 the plate, but the soul. Who served you? Why have they served you? Do you feel cool and relaxed in there when the music's on? That that for me is the Birmingham bit. And then you know, on top of that, then is the style of eating and the, and the way that you eat is the American piece. So think uh that raw bar for example just you know six of you because we operate under social distancing and the recent guidelines <laughs> six of you around the table you know it's all about the main course right it's all about the entree but actually what we're going to have while we wait for the entree or that that 32 ounce steak let's just get some great oysters mm. let's get some great beers you know and we'll just chat catch up We'll nibble on the old oysters and I know the steak's going to take 20, 30 minutes, but when it comes out, wow, what a great piece of meat. That's, that's, that's the American piece for me. That's it's very affordable as well, like the prices. People have I asked me believe <laughs> People have said at work, day when, when I go to work and I tell people where, where I've eaten and oh, how much was it, it's always the first question, how much, how much for a steak, especially steak, how much for a steak? And I tell them, oh, it's like 24, 26 pound. Oh, that's good. That's very reasonable. You know, your Miller and Carter's probably like 26 pound. Was that something you were conscious of when you were doing the menu? Like, yeah, that to be affordable. Yeah, yeah. Again, it goes back to that piece about, the, you know, Isaacs as a whole. It would have been really easy to, uh, I said it in, 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 in a recent article, it would have been really easy for us to go to a Gordon Ramsay, a Marcus Waring, you know, someone big in London mm. and come up to Birmingham. Come and put your name above the door. We'll give you, you know, 60 grand fee for doing it. We'll give you a percentage of the profits, the only five star in Birmingham, and we'll, we'll you know we'll go for a Michelin star and see where we go. I think most people in Birmingham would have come once and gone great, thanks very much. Mm. It, it's gone, you know. What? Why for me? Why is people like Glyn 
and Actar and Simpsons, why are they successful and why are they still here is because they resonate with people in Birmingham. Mm. You know, they are Brummies, they've been around this area a long time. Again, that was part of the reason why I wanted to come and do it because I thought it needed a Brummie chef to come and do this. Mm. So I think not doing that and then doing something else, we need to make it accessible. So we did the menu, the American menu, again, is really accessible and different, but then also the pricing is making people come and go, we can go there two, three times a year, you know, and have a great yeah, experience. Easy. And when we do things like brunch in the next couple of months and, and all those other things that we want to get to, you feel like, yeah, it's good and it's good value for money and it's not rip-off and I'm not going in to pay the grand prices because it's the grand. I'm just going in to pay good prices for good food. Mm. That's it, man. The first thing I said when I looked at the menu, I went, man, this place is affordable. <laughs> I was expecting it to be like crazy prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I could bring my mum here. She'd eat yeah, yeah. My mum and dad don't spend a lot of money when they go out for food. <laughs> but I was like, even they'd eat here. Yeah. They'd happily, and the, the food's accessible. So like, there's n I don't see how there's anyone they could look at that menu and not find something that yeah. looks great for them to eat. Yeah, I think it, I think it would have been really easy to put, you know, a pound, two pound, three pound on everything because we're the grand. Some of that, I think, is driven around service. You know, when you go to those places in London and you have a really nice meal, you expect that style of service and you're almost prepared to pay a little bit for that style of service, right? You know, I want it to be a lavish experience and I want to be indulged and people to call me sir and you know escort me to the toilets and all that kind of stuff but again Isaac's isn't like that it's relaxed and it's chilled so then if someone comes and slides down to you and says hey what are you gonna have have you tried the Brooklyn beer that's great beer man grab a couple of beers grab a couple of pints do you want a few oysters with that and that really chilled relaxed service you don't want to pay over the odds for that no so again that pricing is, is, is done to try and Bring that alive. That's exactly what our service was like the other night, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really good. He was so yeah, good, yeah. and they like really good. George, back. George, yeah, 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 so good. chatty. Wanted to know what you were Hilarious. up to. So different to what you get at normal restaurants. Like even so, I'm a bit of a fanboy about this restaurant because I haven't stopped talking about it to <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. that I listen. I'm already be planning the next time we can come back and just like. Going back to that style and the people in the like from the um, the people serving and the people in the restaurant and the whole atmosphere being like um, Birmingham, yeah, but then the food being American, something with New York. I've said it for years. I think New York and Birmingham are very similar people-wise. Yeah, think, I think they're quite straight to the point. Um, they can be quite tough. Uh, but they're really warm as well. There's a real warmth to them. Like if you're lost in New York, not Kevin McAllister style. <laughs> <laughs> we went to New York and we were looking for, I think we were looking for Shake Shack. Yeah. Couldn't find it. And like the amount of people that stop, you guys okay? Yeah. And then like give you great directions. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think Birmingham is a bit like that. You know, if you bug somebody on the street, then they might tell you to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But if you genuinely need a help, most people, I think, down in Pigeon Park would help you. Yeah, 100%. Um, so when we were doing the menu, I sort of pitched it to the to the boss that, you know, New York was founded as an immigrant city. How many people and cultures, you know, you, you've seen that image of some boat arriving, the Statue of Liberty, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. 
and it ends up being a, a melting pot of cultures and food and philosophy and ideas and that's why you know how many cool music scenes have came out of New York how many cool food scenes have come out of New York and I, and I, and I agree to some extent about Birmingham Birmingham is the very same how many cultures are in Birmingham someone said to me it's it's the youngest and but most densest different cultures or populations of, of people are in Birmingham. Yeah, Even yeah. I thought, what, what, over London? And I'm like, yeah, over London. And you, and you do, you go out and you, you go, oh yeah, you can see it. You know, would you go up to most of them randomly in the street and just have a chat? No, no, you wouldn't. But I bet if you did stop someone and said, excuse me, I'm trying to find New Street Station, mm. most of them go, yeah, yeah, just down there, you're not far, just around the corner and up the street. Very similar to, to your experience. And it is, it, I mean, it's it's not per Birmingham's not perfect. No. We're not trying to say it's perfect. It obviously still has its issues. But it, look, for the okay, I think I still say it every episode. But there's people who want to portray this city as no go zones and divided. Like are people who have never been to Birmingham, I guarantee it. Because you come here, it's not like that. Everyone's like mixed, don't we? Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's happy to talk to everyone. Really, like. Maybe not a general conversation, but as you say, like <laughs> if you ask for help, yes, like, I'll genuinely yes. think everyone will help. New, going back to New York, if you go to New York for um, Thanksgiving, have you been there for Thanksgiving? No. In New York, Thanksgiving is massive, like yeah. bigger than Christmas, because obviously Christmas Christmas is celebrated by everyone, obviously, but it still has Christian connotations yeah. and religion, whereas New. Um, Thanksgiving is just seen as a celebration of all the cultures of New York. Yeah. So it's massive out there. Like, it's completely, like, huge. Yeah. And I feel like Birmingham has that little bit about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd like it to get even more like that. <laughs> yeah. But we, I think we're a little bit further ahead of some places in, in the UK, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. I, I think, you know, Birmingham is culturally growing and, you know, the food scene... You, I'll bring it back to this hotel. It's really easy. You know, the guys that did this project could have taken that 50 million quid and done another one in London. That would have been really easy for them. They wouldn't have got much for the money for 50, quid, 50 million quid in London. But, mm -hmm. you know, they could have gone anywhere to do, restore an old building and turn it into a hotel. But they chose Birmingham. Why? Because it's on the rise, right? It's, it's, it's things are moving you know, again, look at all those cool restaurants that we keep mentioning and talking about there here. You know, I only had to do the research that I did when I started to look at what's happening in the city and look at all those cool places on the outskirts of Birmingham, Sturchley and That's stuff it. like that. Sturchley's the one. Yeah, when all those little things pop up, I, you know, I read, I forget the name of it now, you guys will probably know, some bar was in the Times or the Telegraph, cocktail bar. What is St. Paul's, yeah. Something like gin, that. best gin bar. Yeah, there's the best gin bar, and there, but there was another one. Couch was probably in couch. That, that was it. I was there like, Saturday, man. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. And I'm like, wow. Literally, you know? the menu we got through twelve cocktails. Yeah, and was it good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's my, it's my favourite bar in Birmingham. <laughs> right, it's so fantastic. Check it out. But, yeah, definitely. You know, two, three years ago, I don't think you would have thought that those places would would, but now, now we're getting to the point where it's all it's the norm. Yeah, it's the norm. Yeah, and that's great. That's it's like great. the neighbourhoods of Birmingham have sort of just decided they're going to make something in yes. the neighbourhoods and they're really trying and putting effort in. And that's why these little areas like Sturchley pop up and Moseley used to be done pages ago and now there's Michelin Star Restaurant yeah. in Moseley and it's great to see like Harborn. It's just wherever you go in Birmingham, there seems to be a little 
neighbourhood and they're just they're doing something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that was a bit uh, Deansgate and a few other places in Manchester. That's that sort of happened up there, but definitely in Birmingham now, that's becoming the norm, and hopefully it continues, right? And in two, three, four years, there'll be three or four of those places in, in each one of those neighbourhoods, and all of a sudden it'll be really cool to pop over to, you know. Sturchley or Harbour and then your sport for choice. You're there for like two, three nights a week. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not for you guys. That's a lot of, e- <laughs> know, that's a yeah. lot of eating out and drinking. Yeah, a lot of eating and <laughs> <laughs> Are you tempted to do any TV work? Uh, I don't know really. I got offered to do Great British Menu a few years ago at the height of my culinary powers. Um, I was doing some really good food and it was a really good place. Um, and just at the time he asked me I got made redundant so I didn't have a kitchen didn't know I was going to be working for the company much longer um, I got through the screening I'd done all the demo work and I think I think it was like in August I was due to start filming the the episode and then yeah I think sort of J- July I got made redundant and they were prepared to move the filming back to October at the time, I was like, but I, I honestly don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know if I'm going to have a job or, or, or whatever. And it was a real difficult decision, but I sort of said, I, you know, I'm really, really sorry. I can't do it. So, you know, I think you only say no to those guys once, don't you? And that's that's your chance gone. But um, that's the last time I sort of anything like that's popped up. So, yeah. Maybe. 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 You never know, yeah. Yeah. It's different. Would you, would you want to do it again if they asked? I don't, I, yeah, I don't know, I, I don't want to say no, but I think you have to be cooking a style, a certain style of food, you know, Isaac's food does not translate well to great British menu, and, and if I, if I do something, I want to know that I can kill it, I don't, I don't I'm not going to turn up to bake the numbers up, and I don't want to turn up so you can edit me to be the bad guy, I want to, I want to go there knowing that I've got a chance, or, you know, and I believe that I've got a chance, so... Yeah, we probably don't do the right style of food for, for, for that program, but you know, you never know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. ready, steady, cook or something like that. <laughs> 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 Could turn up and do that one quite good. That's that's chefs love ready, steady. Cook. <laughs> yeah, love I love yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. ready, steady. Chefs cook, love ready, steady. Cook. I think there's something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or bring cook what there? was the other one? Bring Iron Chef. Do you remember Iron, Iron Chef? Bring back Iron <laughs> Chef. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Have you eaten in many places in Birmingham since you've been back? No, is the real answer to that. So, um, my last role, I was predominantly based down in London. So, I was really fortunate to eat out, which is really easy in London. Yeah. I mean, you only have to walk around a corner and there's a cool restaurant. You know, the amount of times I walked past. The last one, I said, the last one I walked past, I worked in Fitzrovia. And one day, I was just, you know, on a phone call, minding my own business, and I walked past Bubble Dogs. Mm. I was like, oh, I fucking know, that's where Bubble Dogs is. <laughs> so it's really easy to go and do that. And since I've been back up here, obviously, coronavirus decided to kill everybody's dreams and aspirations. <laughs> um, and now since the city's open and I've been stuck here, but, I, you know, I see what you guys post, I see what everybody else posts, and I'm like, oh, I need to try that one, and I need to try that one, so... I could take a week off and probably not even get around a quarter of them. Oh, mate, my list only gets longer of places to eat. <laughs> I tick two off and then there's four more on it. I salute everyone who's decided to still open, like, after everything that's happened over the last 18 months, I salute them. Like, yeah. 
it's unbelievable. Did you, you mentioned like this was delayed a few times? Is there ever a point where you thought shit, this just might not happen? Did it, like how work closely did you work with the owners? Like, was there any point they were like? I suppose they couldn't if they've invested fifty no, million. They've got yeah, it, it was always going to go ahead. I guess. I guess with these things and these projects, it's just it's just when. So, you know, the last one I did was an opening in London, and that was two years delayed. So, we we got to the point where we thought we were about a year away from opening. So we employed um, the exec team, so the GM, sales director, exec chef, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then it got a little bit closer, sort of six months away from the opening. So they started to employ teams to start working on menus and SOPs and all that kind of stuff. And then it transpired, actually, that it wasn't six months away. It was probably still another 18 months away. But we'd already invested in the people. So the company, you know, were like, well, we can't just get rid of these people. Because actually, if you think they're the right people, then they probably are the right people. Um, so we kept those guys on for nearly a year until the, the hotel finally opened. What were they doing in that, that time? So, you know, some of it's development work, new menus, um, costings, and, you know, really boring and laborious, laborious stuff. Um, some of them got out shit to other hotels, you know, okay. over Christmas when we're short-staffed. You know, the chefs were up in Manchester. We had other hotels that were opening. So um, we did an opening up in Glasgow, uh, sorry, Edinburgh, Charlotte Square. So me... And the exec chef from the London project, whose project was delayed, you know, me and his team, we opened up the hotel up in Edinburgh, so that was quite cool. So he got to see another opening. So there's still opportunities. Um, so I was never concerned that it wasn't going to. It's just more of a question of when. Mm. And I, I came on board, I think I was due 1st of June last year for an opening around this time last year. And then obviously it got, you know, we came on board for a couple of weeks and then it got delayed. So, yeah, it was never, never if, more just when. Were you aware before you kind of took this role on about the kind of like history of this hotel? Because everyone I talk to, and then when we post about it, there's so many people who are like, oh, my, my grand and granddad got married there. Or, you know, I got married there 60 years ago. No, I have to say, shamedly, no, so when I was here, early 2000s, this was closed and, you know, the, the, the higher, I guess, people saw as the place, the, the, the best hotel, and the Marriott Five Ways was just on the decline from, from being the best. Um, and no one ever spoke about the Grand. It just wasn't, it just wasn't a thing. And, and being a hotelier or, or being really interested in hotels, for me, I wanted to work in better properties so that's kind of why I ended up down in London and doing the stuff down there because it just wasn't that type of hotel here and then flip that back and coming back up here now then you suddenly go wow what an amazing opportunity right that there isn't that type of hotel in Birmingham and I think that's why there's been this great response to it because it's bloody about time that we did mm. and have that cool hotel hotel bar something a bit quirky, you can come and have a cool meeting here, that type of thing that Birmingham's never had. And, um, it looks like the kind of place you'd see on Instagram and it, you'd read, I wonder where that is. You'd see it's in London and go, why don't we have one of them in Birmingham? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, what exactly. it looks like. You know, it? How many times have we jumped on the train to go to London to go for afternoon tea in the Ritz or afternoon, I mean, we're not the Ritz, but, you know, Scarf's Bar and Corrigan's Bar and all those cool bars and all those cool hotels and lobbies and you go... We ain't got anything like that here. 
but guess what? Now we have. Yeah. Most people who haven't even stepped... Is it in the America Bar in the Savoy? Yeah. Most people would have known about the America Bar or could it picture it without even going there? Like, yeah, you yeah, know, so. yeah. And we've got nothing like that yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It feels like we kind of do now with Madeline's. Yeah, I think I think it's the start of that journey, right? And, and you know, hopefully we've laid the foundations for that and then in five, ten years' time, you know, if... if that that's what it will be, you know. The Madeline's Bar in the Grand is the place where your mate comes from Manchester or London, or and that's the place you got to go and check out that bar. Yeah, it's you know, beautiful. It's so, so beautiful inside. Yeah. yeah, and that's not a word I use to describe many bars. No, <laughs> definitely. But you have your first couple of drinks there, and then go and find one up the tower, right? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But um. It, we had who did we have today? There's so many people that have been coming back, and it's so cool. So we had that's it. That an, uh, an old pastry chef from uh, the 70s. She had afternoon tea here today, and she was saying how where the pastry kitchen is today was just a satellite kitchen. Uh, we had an, an old apprentice head chef that did his training. That he came back. The old the last GM to shut the doors. He's been back. Uh, some bartender some bartender some guy who was like a big bartender back in the 80s a member of the guild and he's got pictures of newspaper cuttings of him shaking the cocktail behind the bar he's been back so there's all those people and there's all those stories that are connected to this building and and they're going to start to come out and and, and creep into the, the fabric of this place and I just think that's really cool and we're a part of that just a small part of it the owners now, are they a group or they're not part of the same group you worked for before? No, no. so um, the owners now are a company called, well, it's still owned by the family. So okay. Yeah, Horton's family still, yeah. still own the bricks and mortar. And he, he was here not so long ago, actually. I think it's Peter. Um, he stayed the night and had breakfast and dinner in Isaac's. Uh, and he's a big fan. He wasn't sure that we were going to pull it off. But I think he's genuinely surprised and... Loves what we've done to the to the building. Sorry, Anne, did you see it before it was renovated? Before the money no, was spent? No, no, no. I've seen pictures. Yeah, was it bad? Because like, I don't remember. When did it close? Was it two thousand and six? I think. Yeah, yeah it just been run down. Like yeah, that, that I think it'd been on decline for a long, long time. Um, but I think it finally shut the doors in two thousand and six. There may have been a few exhibitions and stuff like that. Um, I think they did a good job of preserving the ballroom. I don't know if mm. they had to because it was listed. So Hortons may have just kept that sealed and protected, but I, I know the rest of it was it was in a pretty bad way. Boring, stunning. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, proper takes your breath away yeah, when you walk yeah, in there. Yeah, I, I saw um, a picture of, a, of a, an event in there, a black tie event, and ladies looking smart, guys all dressed up, black tie, some like band playing. And I took it to our HR director and I said, you know what we've got to do for the staff at Christmas? we need a black tie dinner mm-hmm. how cool will it be that the next time that ballroom really kicks off and has that type of event it's the staff here and they all you know red carpet laid out for them and all the treatment I just think it'd be wicked really it'd cool it'd be a nice touch that one yeah yeah definitely yeah. as long as I don't have to cook the dinner <laughs> <laughs> as long as I'm not doing staff dinner that, <laughs> that night surely you just get one of the other group where kitchens come and cook yeah try what do you do outside of work when you're not here uh, I, I quite in, I quite like biking, road bikes. I mean, this job has knocked that on the heads, and 
I'm about 10 kilo <laughs> bigger than I'm supposed <laughs> to be. Um, but I quite like road biking. Um, just the silence, just being on my own, phone in a back pocket. A couple of the chef mates that I've got are, are into biking and then just ride off. I'd like to say ride off into the sunset and not come back. <laughs> but, you know, about two hours later, I'm bored and turn around and come home. So that's kind of what I do. Yeah. That's what I sort of, my, my, my downtime. It's a bit sadistic trying to climb up those big hills. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain breed of people like they really get into the cycling. Yeah, it's a hard sport to get. <laughs> it's a hard sport to get into. It's an expensive sport to get into. For me, definitely, and I think for the other guys that I know as well, it's it's the uh, it's the complete opposite from that. You know, that busy hustle and bustle mm. of a kitchen and hospitality. Always on the go. There's always something to do. There's always someone that wants a piece of you. All of a sudden you know, for two, three hours. It's probably a bit like golf, you know, all of a sudden, two, three hours, boom, that's it. Yeah. Just switch off and it's you and a club and a golf ball or you and a bike. I used to play golf, but... Uh, You've dev- definitely never seen me play golf if you think it's relaxing. <laughs> oh, There's nothing more infuriating for me than golf. I, I can't tell you how many clubs have ruined. It's disgraceful. Golf's a hard game, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Some patience so to learn how to play that. So, so good walk. Done half, man. The angrier you get... The less composed you get, the less you hit things. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Well, I mean, if you can hold your composure, it's a great game. Yeah. You're having a good day. You're like, yeah, this is going well. Maybe that's why chefs are good at it. Used to the stress and the ticket machine touching the floor. Oh, and most of them probably <laughs> don't even care about the golf. I reckon it's just quiet mates, <laughs> beers, yeah, four yeah, hours yeah. of doing what I want without someone pestering me, <laughs> yeah. job, job done, you know, and the golf is just an excuse. Yeah, <laughs> shoot six it. under par, I can shoot 60 under par, but they'll still be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I read somewhere, and I'm, I'm a massive MMA fan, so I just read that you're into cage fighting. Is that right? Yes. So um, I haven't done it for a long time, but I used to... Uh, I used to have a few fights and stuff back Oh, did you? Oh, you actually fought? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Down London way or up here? Uh, No, up here. Where did you train out of in uh, Edmonton? Yeah, I used to train in Warwick and then I used to train a bit in the old um, Braulio Estima, Gracie Biology and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think it's like 10 fights in total. Yeah. How did you do? Won a few, lost a few. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Uh, do you still watch it? Or? Yeah, I, I do. I, wa- I, wa- I watch the big fights. Um, are you, uh, to be fair, I've always been competitive. And, yeah. Um, I used to be quite angry. When I, when I first got into the head chef role, I was that typical angry head chef, <laughs> and, you know, trying to, just trying to prove too much to myself, I guess. And, mm. you know, the, the 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 MMA stuff and the cage fighting stuff actually came out of just needing a release, mm. and that felt like the obvious release, believe it or not. But but going into that world, it's not like that. You, you don't sort of turn up and go right. I'm going to punch someone to you know and take all my anger out. Mm. It's almost the complete opposite. It's like right, chill out. Now we're going to go all through training and we're going to do practicing and moves. And at the end of it, you do all the sparring, but you're so chilled and relaxed and tired. Mm. The last thing on your mind is, I'm going to tear the guy's face off who's, who's next mm. to me. You, it's much more friendship and camaraderie. And there's always someone bigger and stronger. So you, you, can, you can go in there as the most angry teenager or kid or guy who's got a chip on his shoulder. 
and actually some humble doctor or <laughs> just smashes your face in and, and, you, and, you, and you walk out and you go, all right, okay. It's an instant repercussion though, isn't it? Because yeah. if you're a twat and you decide to like go over the top in sparring, you instantly get it back. Yeah, like, yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no delay. It's yeah. instant. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the problem we have with, with society, like with Twitter and stuff. Yeah. You can say what you want and there's no, yeah, yeah, no comeback ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, some, if, you, if someone was in front of you, there's no way you'd be that nasty to them because no. they just punch you in the face. Yeah, exactly. And it'd be instant. Yeah. But there's something about martial arts anyway, I think that just, they bring you straight down to earth yeah. and they straight away you realise, oh, I, I'm not that tough. <laughs> well, I, I, went, some, I went through a big transition after that and suddenly, you know, I wasn't that angry guy and suddenly realised there was a bit more to life than just the food and what's on the plate and, you know, that green oil's not green enough and that beef's not beef enough. I just suddenly realised there was more to life than mm. cooking and I went off in a different direction and that was down to martial arts. But like, being me, I was still competitive and that took me... You know, I wanted to, like Sheffin, I wanted to see how far I could get. Competitions and mission stars and stuff like that. And then in MMA, it's the same. I wanted to see where, where I could go and push myself. And the same with road cycling. I've raced and done competitions on, on my bike. So I'm generally, that's me. How far can I go and how far can I push myself? So de France next. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. I'd be there this week, but you know, I've... Uh, Got other priorities. We've got Tour de Yorkshire now, haven't we? I had Tour de Yorkshire. That's it. When's the tour of Birmingham? (laughs) (laughs) That's what we need. That's it, man. We've got an MMA um, future world champion in our hands now, haven't we? I think so. Leon. Leon. Yeah, do you think so? Yeah, Yeah, he's he's looking good. I don't know. Usman's good, though. I can't see anyone beating Usman. He's a machine. Usman's just ridiculous. That fight against Kobe. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's a machine and, and he gets better and better. But, you know. He is like that. Um, I can't remember what game it was now. Wasn't there some fighting game where they would absorb the other fighters' like skills and then oh, just get yeah, harder and harder yeah. every fight? Yeah. I, I can't remember that. what game that was. Or it might have been a film or something. Can they just. <laughs> that's like, that's what Usman is, isn't he? Like, he absorbs. No, that's not, me- so you're on about Metal on Gear Solid. Do you remember Metal Gear Solid? Maybe it was that, yeah. You, you, the only way you could beat him was to put your controller in yeah, number in two. Player two, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Metal Gear Solid, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Stressed for ages. I was like, I'm going to do this. That was before you could just YouTube it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I just go on the internet. How do I do this? Oh, I'll just go do this. <laughs> Have you ever wanted your own restaurant? Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, most, I'll be surprised if most chefs don't go through that dream or aspiration at one time. And never say never. I looked at a few places. Um, but I, I've managed to carve a successful career out of doing what I'm doing. And I'm quite happy to carry on doing yeah. what I'm doing. You know, I know like a couple of friends, Paul Foster's, and, and you know, he's, what, he, what he's gone through to get to where he's got to now no thanks well, <laughs> nah but he's paying off you can't get a table I looked the other day trying yeah. to get a table you can't get a table no, there no. well there's just no availability at all done done yeah. Paul, Paul Foster full time looking at CCTV and tripping <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely um, but then you know look at those guys in the last couple of weeks anyone that's owned that, that anyone I sat at home someone was paying me for some money to sit at home mm. I've got to say, I was one of the lucky ones to come back and have a job. But people who own their own business, 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't realise. We furlough. Furlough sounds cushy and stuff, but the restaurant owner still has to pay national insurance yeah, and yeah, the tax still and everything. Costs, so. Yeah, pensions and everything. No, I'm yeah. there. Absolute nightmare. Yeah, just imagine those guys looking at, you know, everything coming in or everything going out and nothing, nothing coming in and no sign of the end. No thanks. So what happens here when you've got Isaac's up, Isaac's up to scratch and it's running how you want it to run and you've got your brunch on and the kitchen's running itself? What happens then for you? So we've got to we've got to then go back to Madeline's and we've got to re we've got to re change all of that. So Mad, 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 both 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 venues for me are in their earliest stages. So over the next three months is is all about looking at what's working and what's not working, and having the menus and the the new dishes to change so they can be better. They're not perfect now. It's back to the original question. It's that question, right? What would you change? And do you want to keep on tweaking stuff? Um, meetings and events and banqueting and the ballroom. We haven't even started that, you know. Hopefully at some stage there's going to be events of 400 and 450 people in that. Well, I walked in, I was like, this for a wedding here would be unreal. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. We've got to go back and do, you know, I want, I want to be the best afternoon tea in Birmingham. Um so we've got one up and running at the moment, but that's the first one that we've done. So that's not the best that we can do by far. So we've got to constantly tweak that and improve on that. So there's, there's loads to do. We're not even we're not even started yet. Definitely not even started yet. I've got to ask because I'm mad for it. What's on the brunch menu? Don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got that far. I love um, brunch, man. Yes. So we we open this week. Well, this is this is a bit of insight into the development of the concepts, right? So we opened this week. When we opened and you guys came, we'd just done dinner. So all of our trial services were dinner, mm-hmm. knowing that that's usually the most critical one and, and the one that you need to get right. And then we wrote the lunch menu, and then we went live and opened up and did a sort of week of semi-opened lunch. But we didn't do a weekend service of lunch. So then this Saturday was the first Saturday that we were open. But we still had hotel breakfast, so we had an hour to turn the restaurant around and then open up for lunch, which is just not enough time. So we've suddenly gone, do you know what? Actually, lunch is probably not the right concept. Mm. We need to do brunch. So breakfast just rolls into this natural yeah. brunch-style service and feels a little bit more like what Isaac should be, which is that external restaurant. So then we'll have to get back now and, and develop that. Okay. And then we only open five days a week. So we close after after Sunday breakfast, but in September there'll be an expectation from the owners that the hotel switches to seven days. So then the restaurant will probably be seven days. So I need to find and operate that another two days a week. <laughs> <laughs> what you're gonna do that? You're gonna have to get more staff in, like, because you don't want to put the chefs up to seven days. No, so. no, no. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. more 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 staff. How many will be the golden ticket? <laughs> have you struggled to get stuff? Because I mean, every, there isn't a restaurant out there. I don't think that's not hiring at the minute. It's yeah. crazy at the minute. Did you struggle? Or? Yes. Yeah. Massively. Um, yeah, massively. I, I, being selfish, you know, I, I hope if if I go back to when we originally started recruiting, no one knew of the Grand, no one knew of Isaacs, no one knew of Madeline's, and I think it was a gamble to leave your current role for something that on paper mm. may have been great, may have looked okay, mm. you know, but if the reception had been really bad the last couple of weeks and it was a, you know, shit restaurant in a sh- wannabe hotel, people wouldn't come. But hopefully we, we've established that it's a decent product. It's a great venue. 
people have been well receptive to it and it's on the way up. I'd like to think in, in a couple of weeks, a couple of months as we get towards September, people will suddenly go, you know, it's the grand, it's a great opportunity for me. It isn't a, a gusto, and no disrespect to them, but mm. you know, it's not a gusto or Fazenda or wherever. It's, it's clearly not Michelin star, but it's clearly not here either. Suddenly there's that middle ground, you know, like Opus and, and, and people yeah. like that, that, that sort of traditionally were always in the middle. The secret on the menu, as many, ah, people, as many people ordered it, or no, but it, you you can feel it. You can feel it. So the first week there was like one or two, right? The, the night you came, there was one or two, and the second the second week or the second day, you know, it's two or three. You, you can you can feel we're doing, yeah, we're doing more. There's a couple of times we're like shit. We need to get a few more waffles on because you just suddenly <laughs> don't expect that rush. So it's building. We've done some photography, which is key. So on the socials, we'll push it on the socials, which we've not done. And it's just building that. You have to ask for the, the, the secret dish that, that, we, that we can't talk about. That we can't talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was today's? To... It's, it's the same dish. All right. It's, same. A, it's the same dish. How often is it going to change or is it always going to be We'll probably change it. Each menu changeover, so probably three times. But let, let's see. If it proves popular, you know... Joe Allen's, Joe Allen's in New York's, uh, Joe Allen's in London was famous for this. It's closed down now, but you know, there was no burger on the menu, but you could get a burger in Joe Allen's because they didn't want to do it. Like most chefs, I don't want a burger on my menu. But it started off, people going, can we get a burger? And more and more people <laughs> asked for it. They were like, well, we need to put one on. He's like, well, let's just not put it on. If they ask for it, they can get it. Mm. And now, or you could have, go to Joe Allen's and they did this incredible burger. So we've kind it's of a nice touch, and it like <laughs> makes you feel a bit special. Yeah, if you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't need to know. <laughs> so, so we haven't given it a name yet. We keep saying Carl's questions. Yeah, Carl questions everything. That's yeah. what we're like. Joe Rogan questions, yeah. questions everything. I do question everything, to be fair. Um, just say the first thing that comes in your head. They're really simple. They're about you and stuff you like and <laughs> okay. stuff you do. Um, What's the best place you've eaten at? Uh, Fretzen in Sweden. Fucking incredible. Really? Yeah. I went with a group of chefs. Akhtar, uh, Leo from Simpsons, uh, Paul from Salt. <laughs> There's a right little brummy convention yeah, going on. Yeah, that's the right number, that is. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about that. So, just... just and this, 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 for me, shows you why it's like top 17 in the world. As, as, as a chef and a guy who, who like helps and builds concepts, you know, you walk into that restaurant through a little gold door and it feels like you're walking into a shop. You don't feel like you're walking into a restaurant and the lights are low and the charcuterie hanging in the corner and someone greets you and you go into this lift and this lift takes you up three floors to the top of the townhouse and as the lift's going up, it changes colour or changes light from dark where you were on the ground floor to match the lighting to where you were arriving. Oh, and the music changes, so the music changes from the entrance music to the music into where you're arriving. So it goes through this transition. You don't even know it's happening unless you're a geek like me. <laughs> and, and, you, and you can hear it and you, and you opens the lift doors open and you suddenly go, instead of going, oh, it's too bright, it's the natural light and you go, fucking hell, that's cool. That's the level of detail that someone's gone into go, the lift needs to change lights and this is how it needs to change light. 
crazy. It was, it was it was wicked. And then we were, you go, you know, the really expensive toilets, like two thousand pound, that could massage you and, yeah, and yeah, do all yeah. kinds of stuff. So I've, we've all worked out. We're all sat down eating, and we've gone. The first one's come back and gone. Have you been to the toilet? No, he's like, oh, it's got one of them ones. You know, it washes your backside. <laughs> and does that for you? So I've gone, used all the equipment and tested it all out, and sat back down. And Paul Foster's looked at me and he's gone, did you try the massage setting? And I went, what? He's going, it massages you, bum hole. And I went, you're joking. He went, no. Just got straight back up and went back to the toilet to have a massage. Oh, Absolutely class. Yeah, Fretsum, hands down. The food experience, the whole lot, wicked. Incredible. Cool. What's your favourite movie? Uh, loads. Uh, Thomas Crown, Thomas Crown Affair, the original. Uh, sorry, the, the Piers Brosnan, the original is really good. Memphis Spell, you know Memphis Spell? That rings a bell. It's about a, a World War Two bomber. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So that one, look on yeah. No one said either of them so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit eclectic. What's your favourite band or DJ or whatever? Oh, do you know what? I've got a, I have got a soft spot for, and I'm a big fan of Jamero Yeah. Big fan of Jamaica. I've seen him a couple of times. Uh, love Ludacris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, like got some good stuff, yeah. What's your favourite cookbook? Ramsey, A Passion for Flavour. The original. I know he's done loads and stuff, but the original one that set me off on my culinary journey to Michelin star was, was that. I, you know, I, I, I was probably at the Belfry back then. Yeah. And the French restaurant was the pinnacle. And I was I worked in that restaurant and it was you know two slash three rosettes, and suddenly I saw that and saw Gordon Ramsay and was like who is this guy what does he do someone showed me a picture, and that was it then I was like I have to go and get to that level and and I, and I tried yeah nice uh, what's your favourite spirit gin gin a bit boring I think in today's times to say gin now is there's a bit, so many it's a bit crap now. really yeah, <laughs> yeah very with it damn the kids I'm I'm, I'm Actually, a big fan, a bigger fan of English sparkling wine. Nice. Uh, Gusborne do some wicked stuff. Nightingale, bit crass now, but all bit, you know, everyone's from Nightingale. We're not uh, lucky enough to be sponsored by Gusborne. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to work on that. But yeah, definitely. Nice. Which favourite big fast food chain? KFC. Yes. Finally, K- someone said KFC. My one. KFC. Hundred percent. I would go to KFC every time. What's your favourite takeaway? Chinese. I do. I do like Thai. I do like Thai. I went to a Thai restaurant a couple of days ago. It was rubbish. Yeah. I went no names. It was rubbish. But we got a good Thai, a good Chinese near me. Uh, what's your favourite dish that you cook at home? <laughs> Get Chinese takeaway. <laughs> uh, don't really, honestly, don't really cook at home. No, no, I must look like beans outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here at the moment. Other than Luke, though, I don't think we've ever, ever had a chef answer that like, "Oh yeah, this is what I cook." You know, Luke tipping it. Yeah. He goes home like every um, break and cooks like a nice big cooks dinner for his family, and, and comes back to work. I don't have the luxury of that, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> What's your best food destination in the world? I went with the wife a few years ago to San Sebastian. Oh, oh that's right at the top of my list, that oh, is. Yeah, we, we, we stayed. We did what every people sh- person should do. So we flew into Bilbao, 
we did the Guggenheim and pretended we were sophisticated <laughs> and you know did the Van Gogh and stuff like that which was incredible and actually the food scene in Bilbao is pretty pretty similar and there's some great experiences and you, you can get a very early sort of ex- taster for what San Sebastian is it's like another level it's like first division football mm. and premiership right mm. so we, we went round the square there and, and sort of got into that zone and into that way of eating and little bits and pinchos and all that stuff and then the second night we got the coach over unfortunately it was a big football game so we got stuck with the really away traffic away <laughs> crowd coming in anyway the second night we got into San Sebastian and then it's like another level it's like every corner every street every building there's one of these cool bars and stuff but we, again we'd already experienced it so we were a bit like we know what we're doing we're cool <laughs> we, we got this so yeah just <laughs> ate our way around some of those places and I, I, I need to go back. Yeah, well, I think we're there for two days. You need to be sort of two, three, four days. Yeah, I told them this. I want to four nights there. Uh, yeah, steak for lunch and dinner every day. <laughs> if, if you're a foodie, you, you tick it off. I mean, there's all there's New York and and cool those places, but you can't. I think you kind of know what you're going to get when you go there, and you can easily pick your way through. I think for me, for San Sebastian, we didn't know what we was go- what we was going to expect. And when we got there, it was completely different, but it was still so cool. Yeah. It was still so cool. Yeah, it's right at the top of my to-go list, that is. The, the best one we had, KFC, we had this thing called quail <laughs> KFC. So it was little quail legs and breasts yeah. done like KFC. So I'm sat in this little bar outside, drinking a little beer, eating quail fried chicken or fried... Kentucky fried quail. Kentucky fried quail. <laughs> and, and, and there's a little bit of moment, I'm like, this is incredible, but it's just this. No, this is incredible. Cooked, cooked to perfection. Yeah. Still delicate, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Put it on your menu. Yeah. Starter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can come cook it. Brilliant. Well, thank you That's, very much. Yeah. Cool. Good. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. No, it's a real honour. It's a real honour to be, um, you know, back in this city as a as a proud Brummie. Bit further up near Wolverhampton from me um, and to be on here and to be with you guys and then uh, be a part of success yeah definitely thank you thank very you much man. thanks cheers cheers, cheers.